Hello, I am Darren Parmenter from CHU Extension here in La Plata County. And I'm Tom Bartels from GrowFoodWell.com. And this is The Garden Guys, where we help solve some of the mysteries of gardening in the Southwest. Tom just got back from vacation and a little rusty there with the front. <laughs> I did. I forget what we are. What are we? What are we trying to tell the listening audience? What we, what, what's our angle here? What We're are we? about, I think, garden. That's what garden. We are two guys. We'll talk about gardening. Yeah. Um, so and, far, we're on the same page. Yeah, and so far, we haven't gotten canceled. Yeah, I guess that's good. So we're still, uh, we're going strong. Yeah, and you hear the wind howling out there, no doubt, and have for weeks, and we're in the same boat, and we're in the boat of drought, where the boat <laughs> is up on dry land, and... Uh, it's just like when you come across that boat in the middle of the desert, exactly. right? Exactly, used and to like, be a lake How here. did this yeah. happen? This is becoming <laughs> Southwest Colorado rapidly. Yeah, and it is, I mean, seriously, we are technically in the worst prolonged drought in the past 1,200 years, is what scientists are telling us. And so that creates challenges for gardening. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to the this is the new norm, right? When people ask, if this is, is this normal? People move into southwest Colorado and then realize relative humidity is at like 9% and it doesn't stop, wind doesn't stop blowing and it's always sunny and the rain doesn't fall. Or like, is this normal? Like, I mean, I can't imagine why we say this isn't normal, especially if this is the worst prolonged drought in over a thousand years. Right, right. Part of what that brings to the challenge of gardening is early season conditions. And we, we always have a hot late May, June time period where these poor transplanted seedlings go out and they just fry in the hot sun. So that's always kind of a uh, a generic challenge, but it's going to be a little bit even more so this year. So it's a time when you try to think about how do you protect these plants from these rough conditions? And that's your job as a gardener is to think about uh, how do I keep them from failing? How do I keep them from being interrupted in their growth cycle? Right. And to, to me, one of those first things we'll do is even before we put them in ground, is that hardening off process, which I'm thinking we've probably talked yeah, about at least it. once or twice, where yeah. you're kind of bringing the plants outside for an extended period the week before, just so they can become acclimated to this brutal weather. And if you're buying plants, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, You know, if you go to the farmer's market or you go to the nursery and you buy a plant, I'm always thinking that's a week out from when I actually plant them. Don't think that you can buy a plant from a big box store or even a nursery and then put that in the ground and that plant's going to do great. Because it's going from Florida to Durango in less than 30 seconds. And that's a rough transition. <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah. So it's like that putting it out further and further or more and more during the week. The last couple nights before you plant, maybe you leave it out all night as long as there's not going to be a frost coming. So the overview for today's episode, I think, is we're going to be talking about seedlings, uh, what you're going to be facing, uh, how to start amending your soils, getting ready for the planting this season, all the steps that will be happening in the next week if you haven't started already and putting out some cold season plants or seeds and um, helping you with the steps that are happening right now on the ground here in the Four Corners. Yeah, this is the big week. The last, next two weeks are probably yeah. like the two biggest weeks you're going to probably up until harvest yeah. that you're going to have because you're going to be planting seeds and transplants and working soil and um, all those different things that happen early season to get things going in a, in a pretty rough environment. So this is going to be the critical period. Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> start your engines. We're going to start the get like the music, you know, yeah. the pump us up. We're going to start jumping up and down. Yeah. I'm drinking a raw egg or two. I'm ready. 
Is that a locally produced organic backyard chicken egg? It is, and okay. it is a HPAI free egg. Oh, good. So, and as an update, I haven't heard yeah. much more about avian influenza. So, knock on wood. Right, so maybe it's not going to be taking a hold here. Yeah, which is awesome. And I know we have people who are producers here of both broiler chickens, you know, chickens that you eat, and egg, you know, laying chickens. So, man, I sure hope that this just was a, a brief little blip and mm-hmm. it's gone. Yeah. We'll see. So what I noticed the other day is I, I came back from vacation, walked around, checked out the beds. Um, nothing's planted yet. I do have some onions and leeks that I did plant, but and they're fine. But um, a lot of the soil, I noticed, you know, I mulched last winter. And under the snow, that mulch held the moisture in, kept the soil food web somewhat active underneath that insulating layer. But as the early spring winds came in, some of those interlocked leaves that were wet got dry and got blown away on the edges of the beds. And anywhere the mulch was blown away starts drying out rather quickly. So this is like that time where you are really, and it's great that you can see this and and try to get people to have that visual of being in your space and truly seeing what something like a mulch or compost can do for your soil. It is a hundred percent visual and we are all seeing this right now. You know, I've never seen soil crack in early May and that's what we're, what we're kind of witnessing this year for whatever reason this year feels a little bit hotter and drier earlier on. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and crankier, but it does sure feel that way. So being able to witness that and feel it and see it is probably going to make the biggest impression on the gardener. Right. And it shows the importance of mulch because it's night and day when you look at that bed that got blown away, that got exposed maybe two, three weeks ago during one of the big first windstorms. It's just way dry. And then you go and dig down in the mulched bed and it's perfectly good soil. It's rich. There's lots of activity, a lot of microorganisms moving around. The worms are happy. It's just obvious that the mulch is so necessary during dry years like this. And the beauty is this is part of when we talk about in the springtime, taking it slow or procrastinating. You know, if Tom were to go out there before his vacation and say, hey, I'm going to till this in, get that bed ready, comes back, you know, 10 days later, whatever it is, and then, whoa, like what I just did. So just being able to hold that leaf litter or that mulch on top is great for him because he wasn't ready to plant yet. And I'm still not ready to plant because as I was gone on vacation, I have my soil blocks, as you mentioned before in the episodes, uh, behind us here in the office under lights. And they've been there for close to four weeks now. But the growth that I'm seeing in these soil blocks is not up to par. And what it is, I believe, and this is always the case of trying to unravel the mystery of plant crisis, is when I made the soil blocks, I have a recipe that usually works. Last year it worked gangbusters, but I ran out of rock flour wasn't in my garage in kitchen cabinet was in the kitchen cabinet no (laughs) it wasn't in the kitchen cabinet and so i skipped it in the recipe and Uh i think that was my main problem because they're starved of phosphorus which is a secret agent uh that's necessary for all plant growth one of the primary nutrients yeah nitrogen phosphorus potassium yes that middle letter on the mpk and so what's happening is they're stunted many of you have probably seen this in your seedlings where they're not growing as fast as you like. They're not that deep, rich green that you're looking for in seedlings. And so I've got to kind of jumpstart them. And what I'm doing is I'm going to delay the planting of these seedlings an extra week, maybe two, depending on how long it takes them to bring them back to a robust health. And I'm going to add some, what I do is I take my worm bin 
I get some of the best kind of mature worm compost out of there and I make compost worm compost extract and then I add that to the watering regimen on these flats of seedlings and after a week of that they should turn darker green and start their growth and really get a little bit stronger so they can withstand the transplant shock that's inevitable with these tiny little seedlings if not the nurseries are going to be yeah <laughs> yes option, loving tom bartels option b is give oh, him. <laughs> you'll see tom down there with a big shopping cart full of seedlings i usually can't uh I typically don't gloat when it comes to my stuff compared to Tom's, but yeah, I'm, um, mine I'm, look better than yours. Absolutely. I'm, I'm willing to admit the mistake. <laughs> I screwed up on the recipe, and uh, this is what I get. So now I'm kind of backing up on that. But what I'm getting at here is even though those are staggered now and I have to hold back, I can't put those out yet because they're just too young. or They're not too young. They're just too small. Um, now I'm going to go and prep the beds and do all my amendments, my Right. screening of compost and do all the prep work that I will have to do anyway. So I just kind of move over to other projects. Yeah. And you're going to be a little bit later. So you're going to have yeah. to like maybe push them a little bit harder during the season or mm -hmm. just like, you know, maybe a little season extension in the fall right. at that point of trying to get them a couple weeks or at that point they'll just do just fine and they'll come back to where they typically are. You know, they're just planted a little bit later. Right. And on tomatoes, which typically take a lot of extra care, it's easier to protect an adult tomato plant in the fall for season extension by throwing a blanket over this four-foot plant right. than it is to protect a three- or four-inch seedling from wind or hot temperatures or cold temperatures that tend to just drop a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, like, if you don't have the seedlings kind of where you are typically like to see them or you had failure or whatever it is, I think you don't feel like you are, you know, at all hope is gone. You know, there's other options and, and you can delay a little bit and it's going to be okay. And then you can start direct seeding as well right now. If, if, uh, if Not tomatoes. Not tomatoes. No, but if you can put your cold season crops out and start direct seeding, uh, that's another thing you can do. Uh, yeah. If you've got seedlings that aren't quite ready yet. And or you could have like, you know, this is the nice thing about some of our cold season crops is, we could have planted some of those, what is it now, middle of May, you know, six, eight weeks ago, if depending on where you're at. You could plant early April, right, if the soil temperatures are high enough. Or you could plant now into the middle of May. Yeah. You know, for us, we just did the school garden yesterday, and we put out carrots and beets and lettuce. And we were probably a little bit late, but I'd, I feel like we're still okay within that window of getting oh. those up and having a fine crop. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be okay. And I'll be duplicating some of the same crops I've got behind me in the seedling trays. I'll start the direct seeding on those, on the lettuces, the greens, etc. Uh, and they'll have a succession crop. So they'll just mature at different rates. Well, so you think, really, but Murphy's Law <laughs> dictates they all mature at the same time. Yeah, right? sometimes yeah. they'll accelerate and all of a sudden, yeah. a month later, you're trying to figure out which ones were from seed. I can't <laughs> tell. You know? We're approaching... The comfort zone for our last frost date, and Darren tends to be a little more conservative and go for late May, early June. I tend to think of May 20th as my turnaround date that it's safe. So we cannot tell you for sure, but as we approach this date around the 20th of May, it's time to look at that 10-day forecast and start making yeah. decisions. And I may say, what the hell? I'm going to plant. I'm so <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of watering plants indoors. Yeah. You know, and again, like we have a lot. I mean, I, I would have to look at my numbers. But yeah, we have close to 100 tomato plants and peppers and eggplant. And then I have about 
three or four hundred flowers. Well, right. I know. How's my, that going? my wife got Beth got me somewhere where I was feeling like I probably need to buy a lot of flowers, and I really didn't need to buy that many. But she talked me into it, and she showed me the pretty pictures in the seed catalogs. Sure. Yeah. It's like, sure, I need eight different types of zinnias. Like, who doesn't? <laughs> of course, they're critical. They are. So, yeah, we'll be doing a lot of flowers. Um, but I'm, it's like every day I'm watering indoors. And it's not as easy to water indoors as it is outdoors if you have a system that's kind of automated. So I'm ready to get outdoors. I may plant on Memorial Day or even a couple of days before. We'll see. And as far as transplanting, all those sensitive uh, warm season crops like tomatoes, basil, peppers, a lot of your greens, eggplants. Yep. Uh, stuff that needs a longer season than we can accommodate are the typical ones that you see uh, people growing out. And as you're transplanting those, most of them are pretty robust except tomatoes. And they you can handle tomatoes differently. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, let's do like a, like a, a step-by-step yeah. tomatoes. Because it's tricky. And if you do it wrong, you can. the most common mistake I see is people just planting them near the surface right from the seedling cell tray or from the soil block. And they put it just like it was yep. in the ceiling tray and it's sticking up six, eight inches and it's, just, it's floating around the wind or crimping over and it's super tall and leggy. That's not what you want. Yeah, and, it, and if you're buying it or even if you produce it yourself, what we think is these leggy tomatoes is they tend to be relatively thin stemmed. And if a nursery or a, a seedling production house, they wanna get these plants a little bit bigger towards the end, so they may give it an extra boost of nitrogen. Well, they may have given it a little bit too much nitrogen and then it becomes really vegetative, but kind of thin. So like Tom was mentioning, this nice thin plant that looks great indoors when it's you know surrounded by a bunch of other nice thin stemmed plants because they're holding each other up. Yeah. You put it outside and just flops right over. Yeah. So some of the tricks that we can do, and we can think about how we plant this hole, right? Or how you make plant the plant in a hole. It just seems pretty simple, but like there are some techniques you can do to increase root growth, give it a little bit of structure, give it a little bit of nutrient boost in that hole. So what are some of those steps that we can do? Uh, the first thing I do is first I line out all the soil blocks of the tomatoes. Let's say I put the tray out on the bed and then I mark off my centers. I Which is? 18 inch centers on tomatoes if okay. they're indeterminates. And well, actually determinants as well, but um after those 18 inch centers are marked then i dig about oh about a nine inch diameter hole about a foot deep and so I'm, bigger than the container yeah, itself bigger yep. than the container way bigger i move that soil aside and depending on the height of that tomato what i'm doing is let's say it's nine inch tall really bushy tomato seedling i'm going to strip those lower branches I, I pinch them off right all the way it, it seems cruel but you're actually helping that tomato out all the way to the top, two or three branches on the very top of the tomato. Save those. Don't pinch those. But everything below it, you pinch off. And those all turn into roots that's yeah. going to stabilize that tomato. So then I take that hole that may be too deep for that eight or nine inch tomato. But at the bottom of the hole, I add a small pinch of bone meal, typically for phosphorus. Mix it in with some compost so that it doesn't burn the plant and some soil mixture in there. So I actually kind of just swirl it around with a trowel or something. Then I bring the soil level up so that that plant is just at soil level is where those two or three branches are coming up above the soil. Everything else is below ground. So all those pinched off areas are now in ground and are going to help stabilize that plant and give it more nutrients to start the growth cycle. Okay. So 
we always think about what we add to those holes, right? So you're adding typically bone meal on the bone tomatoes. Meal. Okay, but so a lot you're of adding phosphate will work too. Okay, so you're adding something to add a little bit of phosphorus to that plant. Yeah. You know, our grandmas may have added, you know, a fish head right. or you know, eggshells that are smashed up for calcium. Mm -hmm. And you can do some of those things, but by the time they probably break down, you know, right. you may be a little bit late in the yeah. game. Yeah. So adding something, you know, like bone meal. Um, allows that plant to take that up relatively quickly. Sure. And when, you know, Tom mentions he's pinching these leaves off, tomatoes are one of those really cool plants that, you know, a leaf node can turn to a root node with the absence of light. It's this adventitious rooting. So he's kind of saying, okay, I have the, the soil block, which is, you know, two or three inches, but then all of a sudden I'm adding two or three inches or more of rooting depth, which is going to save him and all of us that do this come the middle of the season when this plant's producing, you know, we're trying to get it to produce a tremendous amount of fruit. And that's having all of those additional roots out there makes your life and the tomato's life that much easier. And the first thing that you notice is it withstands the early spring winds because it's only, you know, so high above the soil. So it's not floating back and forth. And, and plants will adapt to windy conditions by strengthening their stems. And they, that's, a very helpful yep. process. Trees do the same thing. Yeah, and yep. some people actually put fans on their seedlings to get them stronger and ready for wind before transplant. But at any rate, when you plant it this deep, it's already doing that for the plant and withstanding the, the wind is a new benefit because it's not super tall and blowing back and forth. And you can do this the same way if you're going from, let's say, big to small. If you buy that big tomato plant, right, that's in the one-gallon pot or the five-gallon pot, and, and you just put that just like you would plant any perennial. It's going to be different. You would want to take that same bigger plant and plant it just, you know, plant it deeper again. Strip off lower leaves. Because once you put even a bigger plant out there, it's going to start moving, sure. you know. so Or if you go down to the six-pack tomato, the, the small size, you can not even just plant that one deeper. You can also lay it on its side. So you, your hole is going to be much bigger than that six-pack hole. You just kind of lay it on its side like it's going to bed. Every, again, you strip off leaves, and now you've created a much larger root ball or root mass than what you started with. And then you backfill the hole up to soil surface. Don't pack it down. It'll do that on Don't its own. Don't step on it. Don't yeah. step on it. And water it right away because that plant, if it's not watered right away, will go into shock and it's going to stress out. So I do that. I don't wait till I'm at the end of the bed and then go back and water all of them. That Watering might be each a, one. Yeah, that might be an hour later. And during that hour, especially if I really mess up and do this midday, which is not the time to do tomato right. transplants, um, they'll go into a heat stress cycle and they'll start drooping. And Do so, you uh, pre-soak your soil to keep it, to get it moist if, beforehand? Yeah, if the soil is already... Moist, I don't add more yeah. and soak more. You're not going to saturate But if it that. was dry to begin with, it might be hydrophobic. So it'll repel that watering. So you want to pre-soak that soil so that it absorbs it super quick and gives that plant a chance to reach for that moisture. Because it's going to need capillary refill and get over this whole, we just moved its world dramatically. And now it's right. trying to adapt to that very quickly. So that the more help you can give it right from the beginning, the more success rate you're going to get. And I always lose, I don't know, 5 or 10% of the tomato plants that just can't handle the transplant. But that's why you plant more than... You plant a little bit more. Yeah. And you do the same thing with a container. If you're planting in the container and you have potting mix in there, make sure you get that really moist and wet so it's not hydrophobic. It doesn't shed water. 
So when you put that transplant into that container, same could you be said the same for flowers, right? You buy all these annuals, you do the same thing. You put them into wet soil or moist soil as opposed to dry soil. And if these are indeterminants uh, on the tomatoes and you're going to need structure later on, pre-posting them is helpful so you don't disrupt the plants or have to walk around and run lines or whatever you're going to put in there. If you're just doing tomato cages, they're easy enough to drop over yep. a plant as it's growing. But for me, I tend to have maybe 80 or 100 plants out there, so I don't buy 80 cages. I just do a Florida weave, so I have to put T-posts every maybe 10 feet or so. So I do the T-post ahead of time so that I've already done the pounding before I put all the okay. transplants. And when you say Florida weave or some people also have a California weave, whatever it is, or... California is just a little bit more laid back. Like, dude, you don't have to hold the straight line, you know. The Florida weave just denies everything, yeah. right? Like, this isn't a weave. Don't call me a weave. Right. Yes, but you are dealing with transplants, which is really what Florida is. Is it nothing but transplants? Ah, there you go. So, you're, again, you're wrapping twine, string, whatever, around each T-post, and then you come down the other side and do the exact same thing with the plant. So the, the string is holding the plant up, right? right? Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah, it's just... It's a figure eight that wraps around in between each plant. So the two lines, I usually use a soft cotton rope so I don't put gouges in the stem as it grows. Right. And then as it grows, this whole bank of plants is being held together by this uh, relatively tight rope, but it's not squeezing or pinching the plant. Yeah. And, and so you do I, this a couple times a year? Yeah, I, I move it up. So I add about three layers as there the plant go. grows, and I'll have one at the top of the T-post at about four feet. And that aligns with kind of how they tend to carry over the top line and they just hold the fruit. Okay. But the whole plant is vertical, makes it easy to later on trim the bottom of the tomato plant so that you're not working with a wet jungle under there, which is a key place where tomatoes can get in trouble. So you want airflow below the plants later on. So anything you can do to get that tomato to grow vertical is going to benefit the plant and less work for you down the road. Right. And so if you don't have a row of tomatoes, if you just randomly put tomatoes in the garden or they're not in a row, then this is when you may use a tomato cage or you may use anything initially to stake it. So a branch, small branch or twig from a tree, uh, a bamboo post or, you know, anything just to keep that plant from tipping over is going to be really beneficial right now. Let's talk about the watering of said plants during the worst drought in 1200 years. Um, <laughs> got another opportunity to throw yes, that in there. Yeah, we're yeah. we're growing a we're putting a lot of water down on the middle of the worst drought in yeah. twelve hundred years. So yeah. one way to do that more efficiently to conserve water is using drip tape or drip lines of some sort. And for those of you that have used drip tape after year two, three, or four, depending on the quality of the water you're using, you tend to get a little bit of a buildup. If you look at where the slits are on the back end of that that drip tape. A little calcium buildup, you see a little white crusting, and that can block some of those emitters and so that they won't emit. And you think, oh, the drip tape is all on, all the plants are fine, but every third one might not be getting water because that right. slit is So blocked. every third plant every third plant will, will die. die. Yeah, exactly. So one thing I do this time of year is I go through the drip tape, and to get that calcium off, I've used just a mixture of vinegar and water, which breaks down that calcium. You rub it on with a, a rough cloth or some rag and go down the whole line and just drag them through your thumb with a wet cloth and the vinegar breaks that down. And you'll see if your lines, you know, year one or two, they might not have much buildup or deposits on them unless you have super hard water and then that might happen right. every year. So it's a good idea to uh, clean those. And then when you turn it on, after you 
planted. Watch the pattern of the, the soaking water expand from those drip points and you can tell which ones are blocked. And then you can go into those exact ones, lift up the tape. And what I do is I take a, uh, a sewing needle, a real thin one, I back it into a, a wine cork so that I'm not pushing it into my thumb. And then I just push the tip of that right where that slit is blocked and I poke a hole. Just a tiny hole, and that should that provide pressure kinda. Yeah, a, a bit of pathway for that water to travel. So now you're opening up those blocked ways, and those plants can then get water again. And it's one of those nice things about our clay soils is that they will show us where we're watering. Right. Because the water will move by capillary action as opposed to uh, gravitational pull. So you can see the water will move almost laterally yeah. before it moves down vertically into the soil profile. You can see how that water is being distributed, and then you can adjust your drip irrigation to fit the needs of the plant. Drip is, again, it's super efficient, but you have to be on it because if, if it gets kicked or moved, <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden it's watering soil that's six inches away. A dandelion really needs Yeah, it. really. That cheatgrass does really well all of a sudden. <laughs> you know that something may be wrong with the drip irrigation, and you know my drip irrigation goes off at four in the morning. And yeah. You know, right at that point, I'm kind of running my 5K every day. Of course. And I'm drinking my Doing kombucha. Yeah. And yeah, so I don't always see it. So what other transplants are you working with now? So we do a lot of peppers. Right. And peppers you scare me. I love the peppers. I do love the peppers. Um, they scare me just because you put them out there and they look so puny and small and scared and sad. And so you plant more than come, you know, three months later, like, why the hell did I plant so many jalapenos in a small space? But they are a slow one to go, right? They, they, we talk about tomatoes kind of being the diva of the garden. Peppers, when you transplant them out, they're kind of diva-ish where they just, they need some attention. But don't worry about it. Just give them water, give them some nutrients. And ignore them. And ignore them. Because otherwise it'll drive you nuts because they sit there for weeks and they don't seem yep. to grow. Yep. And, and they're just in oh, this time warp. They drive me crazy. So again, these first couple of weeks, if for some reason you do start to see flowers come on, on really on any of these plants, Pick them. You know, you don't want anything flowering right, right now. You want everything to go to vegetative. And really, we say that a lot with peppers because they're so thin-walled, or the, the walls of the fruit are so thin that if you don't have enough leaf matter out there to kind of shade the fruit itself, you'll get some sunburn, some sun scorch, and those fruit just typically don't, they definitely won't store very well. And basil will do that as well. If it starts stressing out, not getting enough water or nutrients, I'm it'll, out of here. it'll just go straight to flower. Yeah. But you can turn it around. And I've seen that where I ignored a problem and I look back and all of a sudden all the basil is starting to flower super early, yeah. like way too early. I went and just clipped all the flowers out, gave it what it needed, and then it said, oh, okay, I'll do more leaf growth. Yeah, because really you want these things. We talk about how we have all of our crops coming together, right? In the perfect ideal world, you know, Beth will build a charcuterie board or something with tomatoes and basil you know, at the same time. And a lot of times our basil's almost tapped out by the time the tomato starts to ripen. And we can see the same thing for cilantro, right? Where we have our salsa garden, where we have peppers, tomatoes, and cilantro, onions all coming up. Man, my cilantro would go to seed in the, you know, early June. And sure. like, what the heck's going on here? I don't have any cilantro for the other purposes that I want to use it for. So going back through and picking those flowers off, you can kind of trick the plant into, oh, I'm not ready to go yet. I'm going to still put out the leaf material, which is what you're after. Okay, this is also a good time to check your trellises, 
your fences, your structures. Yeah. How's the garden doing? It's been out all winter. Maybe there's a fence post that fell over. Maybe uh, something that you thought was protecting your garden. No Look longer. for any animals coming in. Yeah. We just realized Gophers. like, yeah, we yeah. had eight onion transplant pulled up. Like, okay, what the Whoa. heck is happening here? Where are they coming from? Yeah. So check your holes and your fences. See if you have any... Uh, pocket gopher kind of runs on the top of the soil. Squirrels coming Squirrels, in. Squirrels, yep. So, I mean, check those things. See if there's gaps and fences for deer. Anything that could uh, really just hammer your garden as soon as you put that stuff out there. And it's really an important time for looking for garden pest rodents that are going to eat all your seedlings as soon as you put them out. It's just a cruel response that you get. Hey, I got 100 seedlings. I did it right. I spent five weeks under lights. I transplanted at the right time. They're all out there. You wake up the next day. Yeah. And they are just rabid. So it's a good time to see what those pests are that are going to really attack your seedlings and see if you can mitigate that. And it's a good time to soak all of your fruit trees or any trees any on your tree. property. Yeah. Because they are having a hard time right now. Yeah, it's tough. Especially when we have this the wind, it just dries those leaves out. So the leaves keep asking for more moisture from the roots. And that process, you got so you got to help that tree along. So a two-inch caliper tree, so that means the diameter of the trunk is two inches. It'll take about two years for that tree to become established. Otherwise, handle your windy spring and hope some of these tips can help you out while you're trying to set up your seedlings and your gardens this year. Yeah, get out there and have some fun. I'm having fun-ish. Ish. Well, you get what you get. I need, and my hair blows away. And your hair blows away. Is that the new, is that our new outro? Yeah. yeah. Darren's hair is blowing away. Yes. You get what you get. Now don't throw a fit. There you go. Thanks Take care, for guys. joining us. See you all next week.